Good morning, everyone. It's disappointing once again that we cannot worship together today. Gwyneth and I truly miss fellowshipping with everyone. There is, of course, a special sense of God's presence, which is unique and important when we meet corporately in person to worship and to share from God's word. However, I am grateful that we have this ability to share together. During our online prayer meeting last Saturday, the fact came home to me quite forcibly that we can still sense God's presence even though we are not able to meet in person. I really felt the presence of God and I think it is because it's true that God inhabits and praises of his people. As different people prayed, I just sensed God's presence. I found it really encouraging. It's wonderful, isn't it, to know God is not restricted, even though we may be physically. Before turning to my message for today, I think it would be helpful, first of all, to refresh where we've been in our series. Values that build lives and churches. So let me ask you, how have you been doing in the four areas we've been looking at up to now? I really pray and hope you've been working on them. In fact, I believe they could actually be of benefit in what we are currently experiencing. Firstly, we looked at learning to be grateful and joyful. Wow, I'm sure this has been a challenge lately. Nevertheless, I trust you've experienced God's grace despite the circumstances. His grace helping you to be or even grow in being grateful and joyful. The second thing we looked at was the importance of being submitted to being made whole from the brokenness we have all inherited because of sin. Let me ask you, has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about any broken areas in your life that need healing? You know, there's nothing weak about recognizing and submitting those things to the Lord and asking for his help to see them heal. In fact, as we do that, we will grow stronger. Thirdly, we looked at the priority of God's purposes in our lives. I think that what we are experiencing right now is an opportunity actually to reevaluate our priorities. So <clears throat> the question is, for each and every one of us, have you embraced and began to pursue God's purpose in your life as a priority? The fourth thing we looked at was uh, the blessing of giving versus taking. Let me ask you, have you proved the words of Jesus in any way? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. I've been encouraged to see how many all around us have demonstrated this principle throughout what we're going through. Let's be determined to continue to live by this norm. Actually, if you have a testimony or testimonies about how God has been dealing with you in any of these areas, we would really like to like you to let us know so that we can share them with everyone. So let's come to today's message. Today's message is serving God and others out of love. 
the last message we <coughs> considered was being a giver and not a taker. Now I believe there is no more perfect place from which to begin our next subject than from there. What better way is there to demonstrate being a giver than being a servant to others? Jesus, in the training of his disciples, set the issue of servanthood as a key underlying principle for their ministry. Probably an essential requirement. So we're going to look at some scriptures about this. Twice in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus dealt with the issue. First in chapter 9 and again in chapter 10. So let's read from Mark chapter 9, verse 35, and reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, He, that is Jesus, sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And secondly, Mark chapter 10 and verse 42 to 45, again, the New Living Translation and it says this, So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This uh, account which we, in Mark chapter 10 is also found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 28. Well, it seems that the disciples started out no different than most. They were ambitious, and they'd been discussing amongst themselves who would be number one, as it were. You may recall one on another occasion, James and John and their mother went to Jesus with their own special request for prominence. So here Jesus brought them down to earth. If you want to be somebody in my kingdom, then this is the starting point. There is no room for pride and ambition if you want to be used in ministry in my kingdom. In the Bible, greatness is defined by servitude. Serving God means loving and serving others. Jesus finally nailed it home in the Gospel of John. We read this in John chapter 13, verse 14 to 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I'm sure most of you know the scene. Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet. Now he says, just as I have done to you, you do unto others. To fully appreciate what this means for you and me, I think it's important 
<coughs> to understand the context. And during those times when guests were invited to someone's home, when they arrived at the entrance to the home, there would be a bowl of water there at the doorway. And the head of the house would instruct the household servant to wash the guest's feet. Well, why, why would that be necessary? Well, in those days, sandals were the standard footwear, and the streets outside were simply dirt tracks. So when people arrived, their feet would be quite dirty, and having your feet washed before entering a home was standard practice. But this would be delegated to the servant of the house, the one who was expected to do all the menial and lowest tasks. Jesus took it upon himself to do the work of the one everyone considered of no insignificance, to demonstrate to his disciples how they must function in their ministry. I'm sure you, you don't need me to point out that this is probably how Jesus intends you and me to fulfill our calling and ministry in the kingdom. Having the heart of a servant is incredibly important. Having a giving heart is where it all starts. The fountain source for serving, or the impulse for serving, the inspiration for serving, is found in a giving heart. The characteristics of being a giver and a servant are at the core of the Christ-like life that God desires for each and every one of us to, to, to do. See, one can do things out of obligation, out of duty. You can even give and, or serve in the same way. But as is often the case, that ends up being a drag and a burden. Now, to serve just as Jesus did, it must flow from a truth within, from the reality and truth of a giving heart. And just as I was thinking about this, that it seemed to me to have a parallel to what Jesus said about worship. He said, they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, he was defining what must be at the core of worship. How God intends worship to be. It must be from the heart. It must be honest, and, or to put it another way, it must reflect what is really in the heart. Or it must be truthful, it must be genuine. It is not something that's, that's forced, it's not something because of duty. It's not something done to earn a reward. It must be done willingly. Or as far as worship is concerned, it must come to the depth of one's relationship with God. Uh, the Bible talks about spirit to spirit or spirit answering to spirit. It must be because there's a real sense of gratitude and love towards the Lord. There were times when God spoke to the children of Israel, you may remember, and he, and he said this, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Now, I don't think it would be wrong to apply the same principle to this subject of giving and serving. See, worship can be wrote, and so too can giving and serving. So I'm going to take the liberty of phrasing it in the same way as Jesus did regarding worship. 
this is what I think uh, we can uh, define it as. They that give and serve, they that give and serve, that is in the way God intends it to be, must do it in spirit and in truth. So when you give and serve, it must be genuinely motivated. It must be from the heart. It must be honest. It must reflect what is really in the heart. It must be truthful. It must be genuine. It must not be forced. Not out of duty. Not to earn a reward. It must be done willingly. It must be done from the love of God shed abroad in the heart. See, we're talking about the disposition of the heart. We talked about this when we talked about giving. What governs the heart? What is at the core of my personality? What is it that I'm naturally inclined to do in my relationship? Whether it's with God, with the church, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, in my interaction with the world, what is it that I instinctively do? Is it my instinct to first look after number one or to think of the welfare of others? There's an interesting scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, and I'm reading from the NIV version. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. As I read this, I thought about it in respect to what we're being asked to do now, to isolate ourselves and, and, and to keep us, you know, the, the distancing and all that thing. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it's a practical way in which we are actually living that out right now with God's help. The greatest expression of servanthood and of ministry will always be from a heart of love. It is love that must be at the core of everything. Not human love, but God's love. The love that the Bible calls agape love. I don't have to go time to go into it in detail, but that is what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about. <clears throat> chapter 12 and chapter 14 emphasizes the importance of spiritual gifts. But wedged in between is chapter 13 to remind everyone that without love, they are empty. Now, that's not to invalidate the gifts, as some would try to do. But it's there to encourage believers to seek to enhance the gifts by ministering out of a heart of love. To help us, Paul encourages us by reminding us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 that God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Praise God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit to give us power in so many different ways to do different things. But God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Other translations say the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts or shed abroad in our hearts. You see, at the core of the unregenerate life is self-centeredness and selfishness. 
And that is why the Word of God emphasizes life principles and qualities that counteract those tendencies in our human nature. But Scripture does not leave us helpless and imprisoned in selfishness and without an answer as to how we can live just as God intends us to live. It provides an antidote. That antidote, <coughs> that answer, uh, is that our minds must be transformed. Let's look at some scriptures together. Romans chapter 2, verse 12, sorry. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And secondly, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, and this is a New Living Translation again, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, New Living Translation, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Praise God. God created you and me for service. God didn't create us for self-centeredness. God created us for service. Without a servant's heart, we will always be tempted to misuse our gifts and abilities for selfish personal gain. And the bottom line is, are we willing to serve? You God often tests our hearts by asking us to serve in ways we're not used to. To be servant, we must have a servant's heart. Let's look at some practical ways that a servant's heart is demonstrated. And as we consider these points, always remember and keep in mind that we are talking about them from a believer's perspective and servanthood in a believer's life. You will recall that in the third part of our series, we shared about the priority of God's purposes in our lives. So in making these points that I'm about to make, it is assumed that when one has made God's purposes a priority, there will be a desire to live by these principles. First of all, then, it's read from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So what does this say to us? It basically says to us, servants make themselves available. Make themselves available. Committed believers don't fill up their time with so many pursuits that limit their availability. They make themselves available for service. Real servants are available when needed, even when it's inconvenient. Ask you right now, are you available to God anytime? Can God mess up your plans without you becoming resentful? Let me suggest that you remind yourself at the start of every day that you are God's servant and the agenda for that day will be whatever God wants to bring into your life. 
See, every moment of our lives belongs to God. Now, there's nothing wrong in having plans, but we must be ready and willing for God to accept those plans. Secondly, servants, real servants, have a sensitivity to needs. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, I'm reading from the NIV. It says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, servants are always sensitive to others' cries. When they see a need, they seize the moment to meet it. And this sermon, I'm not going to get into it, just think of the story of the Good Samaritan. When God puts someone in need right in front of you, it's an opportunity to grow in servanthood. Unfortunately, we miss many occasions for serving because we lack sensitivity and spontaneity. These times can pass quickly, sometimes never to return. Maybe, as you think about last week, right now, were there opportunities to help which you did not seize? If so, be committed not to miss out next time. And ask the Lord to help you to be more sensitive. Thirdly, servants do their best with what they have. Maria from Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4. In the NIV it says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. The... Uh, Living Bible says that this, if you want, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. See, real servants don't make excuses. Real servants don't procrastinate or wait for better circumstances. They just do what needs to be done. See, God expects you to do what you can with what you have wherever you are. See, one reason many people will never serve is that they fear they're not good enough to serve. If you want to wait until you are perfect, you'll never start. You may not feel you have much to offer or much ability to, to do it in any way. But I want to encourage you to do it. You may not think you're up to it, but you can pray for the sick. You can lead in prayer. You can even preach if it's required. Or whatever. Remember, God is there alongside you. And if you are just being obedient to the, uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit, he's there alongside you and his anointing will be on whatever you do for his glory. Fourthly, real servants do every task with equal dedication. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, NIV, we read, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for men. See, the size of the task is irrelevant. The only issue is 
does it need to be done? There will never be a time in life when you're too important to help with menial tasks. Galatians, in Galatians we read this, Galatians chapter 6, if you think you are too important to help someone in need, you're only fooling yourself. You're really a nobody. That's the New Living Translation, Galatians chapter 6, number 3. It's pretty blunt. If you think you are too important to help someone in need, you're only fooling yourself. You are really a nobody. See, it is in these small services that we grow like the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already uh, read in the, uh, uh, how Jesus specialized in menial tasks. Nothing was beneath him because he came to serve and he expects us to follow his example as we have already noted in John chapter 13 and 15. You see, small tasks often show a big heart. And often, a servant's heart is revealed in little acts that others don't think of doing. I came across this example. It says that, you remember when Paul was shipwrecked? It says that Paul gathered brushwood for a fire to warm everyone after the first after the shipwreck. This is, find this in Acts chapter 28. And he was just as exhausted as everyone else. But he <coughs> did that work which was necessary. See, no task is beneath you when you have a servant's heart. Before attempting the extraordinary, try serving in ordinary ways. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10 to 12, we read this. This is a New Living Translation. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Someone has said this. There will always be more people willing to do great things for God than there are people willing to do the little things. Wow, that is sad. It is God who will promote you when you can do the small things willingly. When you can do the small things, he can trust you with bigger things. The first point is this, real servants are faithful to their ministry. I don't know about you, but uh, I think it's uh, a common problem uh, in these days. Commitments are too often made lightly. It's sad that every week, churches, volunteer organizations have to uh, improvise because volunteers didn't prepare, didn't show up, or did, didn't even call to say they were not coming. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, Daniel, Timothy, and Paul, in the word of God, refers to all those men, they were called faithful servants of God. Now they finished their tasks. They fulfilled their responsibilities. They kept their promises and completed their commitments. They didn't quit when they got discouraged or even faltered. You see, they were not perfect men, but they were trustworthy and they were dependable. 
God tests our faithfulness. Small things are important. Being faithful in them is important. Lastly, real servants maintain a low profile. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, the NIV says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Servants don't promote or call attention to themselves. They put on the apron of humility to serve one another. It does bother me when I see so much self-promotion in ministries these days. But real servants don't promote or call attention to themselves. Eye service is, is serving in order to impress people with how spiritual we are. You see, that was the sin of the Pharisees. They turned to helping others. They turned giving and even prayer into, into a performance for others. And it's obvious that Jesus, by his, <laughs> the things he said and did, hated this attitude and warned. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 1, he says, When you do good deeds, don't try to show off. If you do, you won't get a reward from your Father in heaven. It seems to me that self-promotion and servanthood uh, don't really mix. Real servants don't serve for the approval or applause of others. Paul said this, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, there are many other examples of a good sight from the word of God, but time will not permit. Just to say this, that Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Of course, that's those who are first in the eyes of men will one day be last. Those who are last in the eyes of man will be first. Jesus said he, don't, he doesn't judge by the outward, he judges according to the heart. That's a challenge to each and every one of us. Finally, then, let me close by saying this. I hope, and my hope and prayer is that Transformation Church will be a church community that has as its core and is built upon the principle of service. That we are going to be a church that serves God, serves one another, serves the church, serve our, serves our community and society. And I am convinced that as we individually and as a church collectively live out these principles, we will see the blessing of God and we will see growth as a church. And so will, will you join me, with me and all our leaders in committing yourself to put this into practice? With me today, ask God to give you a servant's heart. Ask him to break down any hidden pride and to keep a check on your life so that you can become what he wants you to be. See, our first priority is not to be a prophet, not to manifest gifts, not to do miracles, not to be prosperous. 
Now, having said that, don't get me wrong. These are important things that we are encouraged to seek after. Remember what I said though, regarding 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Because all of these things, without love as a motivation, will be empty. So tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, always do what God has called you to do. Humble yourself before him. Do it all for his praise, not for the praise of others. And I want to leave you with this encouragement from the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, this is the English Standard Version, it says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Praise God. Can I repeat that by injecting something into it? It's not there, but I believe it's for you and for me also, that, that scripture. And so I'm going to repeat it in this way. Therefore, Transformation Church believers, be steadfast, be unmovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, help us to live humbly before you. Help us to live just as you showed us to live. Help us to serve you, to serve one another, to serve the church, and to serve our community and society in whatever way you will show us. Above all, help us to tell others of your love and salvation which gives hope to all men and women. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.